Let's hear the word of God, John 1, 14 to 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. The grass withers, the flower fades. God's holy and errant word endures forever. May he bless it to us. Well, it is Christmas. And often, I think, less often than it ever used to be, the question always got asked, what does Christmas mean to you? Now, perhaps some of us as Christians, we don't think too much of that, but perhaps for most of us as Christians, when we think of Christmas, we think of the birth of the Lord Jesus. Uh, not probably how he was born, but that this was the season in which we celebrate his coming to the earth, his first advent, his birth. But in amongst the world, there is often this thing called the Christmas spirit. I think Charles Dickens is the one responsible for that phrase that has been coined. Because as he wrote the Christmas carol, well, it really wasn't a carol about Jesus, was it? It was a carol about the betterment of morality among men. And he was dealing with a very callous and dark time in the Victorian age. I've often said people misrepresent the name Scrooge. No one ever calls their children or names their children Scrooge. We have a very uh, a bad sense of that word whenever we hear it. We think of someone who is a, a miser, a mean-spirited man. But if you think along the lines of that book, The Christmas Carol... Scrooge is about a man who became a new creature. <laughs> in, in a sense, part of the message of the gospel is presented there, but the name of Christ isn't presented. It's all about the reformation that a man makes upon his own soul as he contemplates the issues of life and death. But he became a changed man. Interestingly, does anyone know his first name? Ebenezer. What does that mean? God is my strength. Isn't that something? How the, they get it right with the first name, but don't bother with the, the second name. But anyways, I think Dickens brought about that whole understanding of what the Christmas spirit has come to mean for many people. Where we try to exercise a moral kindness and mercy towards others, where we try to present ourselves as good human beings before one another. Uh, don't worry about what you see in, groceries, uh, in, in department stores and the many fights over toys. Uh, some of you may not know, but I used to work for Zellers, 
and for a couple years I was the supervisor of the toy department and we always got it going uh, right in the middle of October even before Halloween started we would start putting up the, the, uh, the whole regalia for Christmas and I happened to be working in the toy department this is going way back when the Cabbage Patch dolls came out my oh my you want to see Christmas spirit when you only get a hundred dolls and there's a thousand people waiting at the door to come in and get them it really shows itself. And, and that's part and parcel of why when we talk about the Christmas spirit, we're really showing uh, or trying to show a little bit of humanity. We're often more generous and mindful of others and giving. And I think, to be honest, I truly think that most people without Christ often utilize the Christmas spirit as a time to ease their conscience when for the rest of the year they're focused on self. It, it really becomes one of the contradictions that's before us. But even for Christians, the, the Christmas time has, has meaning. Many of us in our homes will read Matthew 1 and 2 or Luke 1 and 2 and we will hear that event of Christ being born and sometimes we'll do that just before we dive into the uh, whole gift giving and opening up of presents. Uh, this year where Christmas fell on Sunday, I was again uh, very disturbed uh, about a few things. One is it's always the season when in reform circles, they want to debate whether or not Christians and the church should celebrate Christmas and have the Christmas calendar to the forefront of their services. I see at times nothing really wrong with it. Uh, I just don't follow the church calendar, but it is a time to reflect upon the advent of Christ. But this particular season, the big debate is whether or not we should have services on Sunday. And how many churches had canceled their Sunday services in favor of a Christmas Eve service and the Lord's hand, at least in Canada, has come and wiped out the ability of any of them to have any services. So we have a weekend where uh, many churches haven't been able to worship and gather and assemble. A lot of strange things. Christmas, what does it mean to you? I think the greater question that we're going to ask is what does Jesus mean to you? Put Christmas aside. What does Jesus mean? We have been looking at this introduction to John's Gospel for the month of December in the morning to consider Jesus as God the Son. Jesus in the glory of who he was contrasted to what he became when he took to himself our human flesh. In the evening, we're looking at what it means to call Jesus the man, the God who became man, we're looking at his humanity. But we have been looking at, at Jesus, the Son of God. And, and really what John is showing us is the theology in verses 1 to 18, the theology of the birth of Christ. Who he was from all eternity, the eternal word, the light of the world. And that very word, God the Son, 
who became flesh. And he brings us in in a culminating way to, to the glory of why he became flesh. And you see it there in verses 15 to, to, six, uh, to 18. It's so that we could receive the fullness of God. <laughs> that the only way that we as men and women, as children, as people, humanity, the only way that we can receive the fullness of God was for the Son of God to become a man. And John brings us to that point powerfully in verse 16 when he says, Of his fullness we have all received. Have you received it? That that is the greater question. People may not realize it, but of the fullness, of Jesus' fullness, we have received. Christ has come to earth. God the Son descended from heaven and set aside the glory of who he was as God to take to himself our flesh. He didn't set aside his Godhood. He didn't stop being God. But God came in the flesh to the world that he had created, to the people that he wanted to demonstrate his glory to the world through. And he said, Behold, your God is now with you. And whether the world re really understands it or not, we have received that glory. It has come. And I dare to say there is not a place in the world today where that glory hasn't been proclaimed. So in a sense, the world has received, has received this gift. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That is a truth. But even more, he came with purpose. And one of the great purposes that, that he came for, as we see in verse 16, and it's our first, first thing to note, is he came to fill us. And he asked that question again. What does Jesus mean to you? When you think on the name Jesus, and especially at this time of year when we consider his birth, what goes through your mind? Personally, uh, I'm not a fan of calling this season the birthday celebration of Christ. Because he's more than just a babe in a manger. He is far, far more than that. The light of the world has come in the flesh to give us something. To fill us with something. And when we think of who Jesus is, he had to ask his own disciples that very question. Uh, you can read it in Matthew 16. He says, who do the people around here say that I am? And, and there were all sorts of guesses for a people who should have been ready to receive their Christ. The anointed one. The one whom God had promised from the very Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve fell. God promised the Messiah who would come. They should have been ready to say, He is God come in the flesh. He is the Son of God, the Christ who has come to save us. That should have been on the lips of everyone, but it wasn't. They said, oh, he, he's probably Elijah. Doesn't Elijah have to come first? 
So he's probably Elijah, or maybe he's John the Baptist who has been resurrected from the dead or reincarnated in this man. Uh, There was a bit of that going on. Or one of the other great prophets, the spirit of the prophet coming to him. And he looked and he asked his disciples that very same question. Who do you think I am? And, and, And Peter, on behalf of the apostles, made that statement that is the rock and the cornerstone of the church of Christ. You are the Christ. You are the one that God promised to send to come and to crush the head of the serpent, to come and to bring salvation to his people, to deliver us from our bondage to death, to deliver us from the tyranny of sin that is over us. You are the Christ. But you're not just any man. You are the son of the living God. That is who Jesus is. The son of the living God. And my friends, that is the essential truth that you must believe. And believing that truth It ought to change you when you think of God. That our thoughts of God ought not to be unholy, down-to-earth thoughts. What God has done in sending Jesus was to give His Son to the world for the sake of the salvation of all of His people. And He's saying through His Son, Now come and know Me as God. It's the essential truth of Christ you must believe, especially if you want that fullness of God. Again, how many people will make that prayer when they're in trouble? Oh God, I wish I had some help. Even if they say it in vanity, emptiness, meaningless, people still recognize God. Oh my God, you hear so many people say And don't you just want to go up to him and say, oh, do you know him as your God? Or do you just like the Greeks in the day of Paul, just understand that there's an unknown God out there who has created all things before whom we stand. God has sent his son with the purpose of filling us. And what is it that he fills us with? And you see it there in verse 16. Grace. Grace. It's one of the, I think, one of the most powerful words of both the Old and New Testament. You don't see the word grace in the Old Testament too much. In the Old Testament, it's a different word, but it has the same meaning. The Hebrew word is chesed. It's spelled H-E-S-E-D. But in the Hebrew, you give it that k sound, cassette. And it's used over 250 times in the Old Testament. It's used more than the word grace is used in the New Testament. And it's a word that expresses, again, what does grace mean? It means that undeserved kindness and goodness of the holy God to an unworthy sinner. Grab hold of that definition. Grab hold of it. The undeserved 
kindness and goodness of the holy God to an unworthy sinner. And my friends, that word, that grace of God is, and and don't get me wrong as I make this statement, but it's a true statement. Grace is the most essential point of your salvation. Even more important than your faith and your hope and your love. Faith is the means by which we look to God and ask, fill me with your grace. But it is grace that we receive from God. It's essential. And it is Christ who has come to fill us with grace. Have you ever noted that benediction that you hear and that you receive most often? It is called the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it's the love of the Father. There's a distinction there. Even though grace is love expressed. What we are seeing when we behold and think of Christ is we are seeing grace. The undeserved kindness and goodness of a holy God to an unworthy sinner. And as much as we distinguish it from Christ, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is not improper to say, Jesus is grace itself. Just as John would say, God is light. God is spirit. God is love. It is right to say Jesus is grace. The manifestation. The revelation of God's grace. And he is the one who comes to fill us with the kindness and goodness of a holy God to an unworthy sinner. What do you deserve from God? There's only one thing you deserve from God. There's only one thing that you have merited, earned from God. And that is judgment. Nothing else. We deserve the eternity of the punishment of hell. That's what we deserve from God. But it's grace that meets us in Christ. That's, that's what's so amazing here. God has come, into the, come in the flesh... To give to us kindness and goodness. What an unworthy sinner does not deserve. And only God can give this kindness and goodness. Because it is of God. Remember when Moses wanted to see the glory of God. He asked, God, I want to see your glory. And God said, you can't see me and live. The best that I can do for you is hide you in a rock, in a cave, and and I'll pass by. And and in the language of the Hebrew, it is the only thing that I'll I'll let you see and and you will live is the, the very heel of my being as it passes by. Because the immensity of my glory would overwhelm you and you would die. But I will proclaim my glory to you. While you are in the rock. In that cave. I will as I pass by. And you 
capture that glimpse of my heel. I will proclaim my glory. I will announce it to you. And what did he announce? The Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh your God, the eternally self-existing God who is your God, who is, listen to these words, abounding in hesed, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping hesed, or as it's translated, keeping mercy for thousands. That's my glory. That's the glory I reveal to you, that I am a God in all my holiness and glory and majesty who will show to you grace, cassette, goodness, mercy. You know Moses' response after that. We always forget the next verse. (laughs) Moses comes out, bows to the ground and says, Oh God, don't kill me. (laughs) We're a stiff-necked people. We don't do what you want. You see, that's a person who's able to look and understand who Jesus is. Who understands, what do I deserve from God? I'm a stiff-necked, wretched sinner. And Christ wants to fill me with the goodness and mercy of God. Isn't that unbelievable? And that cassette, that grace, is Christ himself. How has God demonstrated, how has God the Father demonstrated his love to you? Well, we're told that in Romans 5. God has demonstrated his love to you and while you were yet sinners, while you were yet ungodly, while you were yet an enemy of God, he sent his son to die in your place on a cross as a curse for you so that you could be pardoned all your sin, so that you could be accepted by a holy God. God's demonstrated his love. Christ, the grace of God, is the one in whom he's demonstrated it. And we are told here, it's of that fullness, grace, that we have all received. Fullness. Like, God... God can't give you any more goodness. He can't give you any more mercy than what He has given you because He's given His Son and there the fullness of His goodness and mercy exists because Christ is grace. And this is what He has come to fill you with. And, and, and the phrase that ends verse 16, grace for grace. What a strange way to say it is. It's of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. What he's saying about the grace of God is this. It is like God himself. There is no end to his grace to you. Thank God for that. And why is there no end? Because Christ is God. If Christ was just a man finite in his being, There's an end to our things. We've often said that to our children as parents. I've come to the end. (laughs) You're going to get what you deserve. (laughs) All right. That's it. No more. 
And, and, and we don't expressly say it, but what we're saying is, I have been patient with you up to this point, but my patience has ended. We are finite creatures. Our goodness has an end. Our mercy has its limits. Because we're sinful too. Those limits are even shorter. But because Christ is God, infinite and eternal, all that he is to us is like him. His grace is infinite and eternal. Think on that. His grace is what fills you. And what does Paul say about that grace in 2 Corinthians 12 when he's talking about all of his sufferings and all the hardship he has to endure, all the persecution, all of the afflictions, all of those trials, all of that suffering that we are faced with in this life. Let's be real about it. Our lives are met with a whole lot of suffering, whether you're a Christian or not. But especially for Christians. Why does he say at the end, first, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians 12, 10 and 11, why does he say, I'm going to glory in my persecutions. I'm going to glory in my sufferings and trials and my afflictions, etc., etc. All that I suffer, it's glorious. Why? Because he says this. I know that Jesus' grace will be sufficient. And it will be. Why? Because his grace is as Christ is. Infinite. Eternal. Jesus has come to fill us with the fullness of his grace. Think about that. When you get on your knees today or tomorrow and you say, Father, please forgive me for that sin of anger, for that sin of lust, for that sin of coveting. That has laid hold of my life again. I've asked you to forgive me for this before. But I'm here again saying, Father, will you forgive me? And what's his answer? What's his answer to you? I keep my mercy. I keep my chesed. I keep my grace. For thousands. As one man said, and feel free to own it. There is more grace in Jesus than there is sin in you. There is more grace in Jesus than there is sin in all of us. Praise be to God. That's the glory. That's why David would say in Psalm 23 when he thinks upon the Lord his shepherd, what does he say there? My cup over What's it overflowing with? That very cassette of God, that goodness of God that pursues me all my days so that I can dwell in the house of my God forever. Isn't it? Isn't it amazing? And this is what he fills you with because he is God. He is the Lord of grace. And he's come to set us free my friends, uh, these next two points, we'll get through them fairly quickly. But again, we, we know this. I think this we know as Christians best of all. That in verse 17, 
uh, Christ has come to set us free. And, and here in verse 17, there is that comparison that's made between the law that was given through Moses and, again, grace and truth that came through Jesus Christ. And, and I want us to understand here that Moses and the law is not being set in antithesis to Christ. It's not a black and white contrast where Moses and the law is no good, Christ and grace and truth is all good. It's a comparative. Moses and the law was given until Christ came. Israel experienced that cassette, that grace of God under Moses and the law. It was given to, to point them to the fuller grace of God and truth that would come with Christ. But it was God's way of demonstrating before the advent of Christ, his love, his goodness, his mercy, his desire to have communion with sinners. I think that astounds me more than anything, that a holy God would want communion and fellowship with me. Think about it. Think about someone that you maybe have a struggle to love and how would you like sitting down at a table with that person and enjoying their company for a full day, let alone a full week. <laughs> we struggle with that, don't we? Well, I can handle that person for about half an hour and I'm done. Here is a God who wants communion with us. And he gave Moses and through Moses he gave the law Till the coming of Christ. But with the coming of Christ. Those laws and Moses himself. They were all shadows. Of the greater one. Who would come and establish. Firmly for us. Grace and truth. And Christ has come. And, and he set us free. From a whole lot of rigor. <laughs> Lord, I, I don't know how Israel managed to do it. Even for a year. All that was required in the law. Can you imagine? Okay. Uh, we need to go to Jerusalem three times this year. We've got to leave our property and just go and trust that God is going to keep it from robbers and thieves and invaders. And uh, we've got to spend two weeks there for one of those celebrations and a full week for the other two. And we've got to make sure that Every Sabbath in between is kept where we do nothing but prepare everything for those days. Uh, we have to, every time we have a child, uh, offer up this lamb as a sacrifice. And, and our firstborn, we've got to go to Jerusalem for them to, if he's a male, to be sacrificed. I mean, to be circumcised. Uh, I mean, that's just... That's just a small portion of the law that I've laid before you. Can you imagine living under all of that in order to be established and viewed as the holy people of God redeemed by him? Why would God go through all of that? Basically to say to the world, do you understand what it is for you to come 
worship a holy God in all truth. And Christ has come in fulfillment of all of that to establish the fountain and fullness of grace and truth to us. He is, as John would announce in verse 29 of this chapter, he is the Lamb of God, the true Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. He is the true Lamb, the all-sufficient sacrifice that will free you, not just you alone, but will free all of his people of all the generations of this world from the tyranny of sin. He has come to set you free. And God wants us to understand the glory of what that means for us. Because again, it's of his fullness that we receive our fullness. That as we have come into that union with the Father through Jesus Christ, it's not just that he set us free from something, he's opened us up to the freedom of life in the Lord. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? What God is saying to us is that through his son, he has set you free that you may receive from God everything. But I want you to think, how many of you know the question that is asked before that verse? How shall he not freely give us all things with Christ? What's the question that is asked? It isn't the question that many people have. Oh, if I believe in Jesus, what will the Father give me? It's this question. If God is for us, who can be against us? And his response is to say to you, how can anything be against you? How can Satan be against you? He is not against you anymore. How can this world be against you? This world is not against you anymore. Not even your sin. And the condemnation of your sins is against you anymore. Why? Because Christ has set us free. The Father did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. To put it not in question form, but to put it in that exclamatory form. The Father, through Christ, with Christ, freely gives us. All things. He's not talking about the materialism of this world. He's talking about that life and joy and peace and pleasure that is found at his right hand. Eternal life. Grace for grace. And the last that we see here, the fullness. He's come to fill us, he's come to set us free. Verse 18. He's come to declare the Father to us. You read verse 18. 
Again, no one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. Why is it necessary that we understand that Jesus is the eternal Son of God? It's because Jesus has come to fill us with the fullness of our adoption, to declare to us the Father. That word declare, that those of you who, who understand anything about interpreting and studying scriptures, that's the same word that we use to define that term of the study of scriptures, exegesis. Jesus has come to explain and make known to us the fullness of the Father. That invisible God whom we cannot see is now seen through Jesus. The one who was in the bosom of the Father has come down. And and this is what makes it even more remarkable. The one who was in the bosom of the Father has now come down to to open up that way and to enable you to experience the fullness of your adoption. Your life with the Father. The relationship... This is the depth of it. The relationship of eternal love and unity that the Son has with the Father and that the Father has with the Son. That love and unity that Adam forsook and lost, Christ has come now to fill you up with again. (laughs) To restore that unity and love with the Father in its whole fullness. You don't know the depth of that yet. (laughs) But what is it going to be like to be with the Father and to experience eternal love and unity with the Father? That was Jesus' prayer, wasn't it? I desire that they have that very unity of love that I have with you and that you have with me, that it may be with them. It's a glory that I can't fully comprehend yet until we are there to be enveloped by it. But it's what Christ has come to restore. And he can do it because he is God the Son. It's what he gives of his divinity to us. And even now, Christ is at the Father's right hand He is at the Father's right hand, ever living, to ensure that you will have a place in the Father's house. How glorious are those words uh, in John 14, where Jesus looks at his disciples and he says to them, after he has just said to them, most assuredly, I'm telling you the truth, you will deny me, Peter. Disciples, you will all forsake me. Now, can you imagine the Lord saying that to you? But then what does he say right after that? Don't let your heart be troubled. What? You just told me I'm going to fall desperately short of your grace. And now you tell me, don't let my heart be troubled? (laughs) Why? You believe in God? Believe also in me. You see... You can believe in God and not believe in Jesus. That's the problem. You need to believe in Jesus. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go 
to prepare a place for you. That where I am, you may be also. Not Nathan. Believe in me. Because I have come to give to you the greatest gift of all. As the Father has given you the greatest gift of all in the sending of his Son, the Lord comes to give to you the greatest gift of all as his Son. Life with the Father. And he ever lives right now to ensure that you will be saved to that uttermost goal. My friends, do you know this fullness of Christ? When you are asked, what does Jesus mean to you? How do you respond? Do you have the fullness of his grace? Have you received Christ? Come to you. Don't let this day go by. Don't let this season go by or this year end without you being in Christ. Know him. You will know the Father.